you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3 this morning. It was March 5th of 2012, and Logan and I, um, a very pregnant Logan at that, had um, gone to a doctor's appointment, and we left that doctor's appointment. Everything was good. We're good to go. I'm going to have this baby anytime now. And, and we, we drove down the road from the hospital to a, um, like, like a, a thrift store, secondhand baby store. There was like two items that we needed um, uh, still for the first baby to come. You know, you know how that is, like all the things you need. Um, the third one, I'm not sure she got anything. Um, but the first one, we needed everything, right? And so we had done that, and, and we, were, we were driving back. We, were, we had gotten back on the road to go home, but, but we were still really fairly, like, I'm talking like two and a half minutes from the hospital. And, and, and Logan's water brooks. Well, I'm, you know, have, I'm clueless, right? I'm like, what does that mean? And like, she's like, we got to go to the hospital. And so like, you know, I'm, I floor it. You know, we hit a railroad track, I'm pretty sure caught air in our 2006 Honda Accord. And um, she's like, slow down. I'm like, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> so we get to the hospital, we get in, you know, and it's, it's about, I don't know, 10 o'clock in the morning, something like that. And, and, and Logan's in labor and, and we spend all the rest of that day, or I didn't, she did. Um, spent all the rest of that day in labor, that night in labor. Um, and it was like, I was like, when does this end? Like, do we ever get a baby at this point? She was thinking the same thing. I was just thinking it from a dad's perspective, you know. And, and it's interesting about being a dad because up to that point, I had not experienced anything like that. And, and, and you know, you, you find out you're going to have a baby and it's like, cool, you know. And, and, and my wife did all of the work. Um, and, and, and so for, for nine months for her, it was very real. And, and for me as a dad, I'm like, I still got nothing. Like, looking for the baby, right? At 8.07 a.m. on March 6, 2012, we had a, <laughs> we had a baby. And I held... Andrew Kate for the first time as a dad and I was exhausted and I just wept all three of our kids I've wept Logan's like you're a baby I'm like I know I know I know I just I just I just remember though in that moment weeping as I'm holding this baby and all I could think of was Psalm 139 for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made and I'm holding this child and I'm going I'm a dad. Like, I had this beautiful moment of God reminding me that he, he created her and that she is his. But then I had this next moment of, I got to keep this thing alive. <laughs> How is that supposed to happen? I have no idea what I'm doing. Right? But it was this moment where I realized that I had a massive responsibility. A massive responsibility. And the only way that I was ever going to fulfill that responsibility as a father and as, as a husband 
would be first to submit myself to Jesus. And if I didn't do that first, I would never fulfill the responsibility of being an incredible father to Landry Kate and then eventually Briggs and Sutton. If I didn't first submit myself to Christ. And, and I tell you that this morning because it's not any different. It's not any different than what God has called me to do as a pastor. I will never be, and anyone who has ever called to be a pastor will never be the pastor they are called to be unless they first submit themselves to Christ. And so this morning as we walk through the text, that is simply our aim. The role of an elder pastor overseer is marked by his surrender to Christ. It is marked by his surrender to Christ. And, and, and as we jump into this text this morning, I want you to know this before you tune out, okay? Because quickly we can see, oh, that's qualifications of an overseer. Brady's just gonna preach to us this morning about him. Wrong, okay? These are all descriptions and markings of every believer. Every single believer that claims to walk with Jesus, these should be descriptions of your life. Okay? But Paul here in 1 Timothy, as we walk through this, is saying, hey, these are specifically some things that as you seek out and as you um, find a pastor, an elder, an overseer, or plural, as Paul says it, elders, okay? As you see that, these are some things that you need to look for. And Ben, I could list a, a laundry list of names of pastors who have had moral failings in the last six months. It's just, we could say that. We're not gonna list those names because that does no one any good and it encourages no one. But I can tell you this, so many times churches tend to focus on someone's ability over their character. And when Paul begins to list these things, his priority is their character, not their ability. There's only one thing in here that he talks about as far as ability. The rest of them are about their character. That should be just as true of you as a believer as it should be any pastor standing on this stage teaching every Sunday. Verse 1. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desire, desires a noble task. So Paul's just simply saying that, hey, you can trust this. This is something that you can lay a stake in, this is what's true, right? We've already discovered in chapter one and, and some of chapter two that, that there's some false teaching going on within the church at Ephesus, right? This is yes. Okay, God, some of you have been here the last six weeks. Okay, so listen, we've already discovered that some false teaching going on in, first, in, in at the church at Ephesus. We know that. And so Paul is saying, hey, there's some things that we need to address. 
Whether this false teaching was directly coming from the overseers, we're not entirely sure, but Paul thinks it important enough to tell the church of Ephesus, hey, here's the things that you need to look for and those that are leading and the elders, the overseers, the pastors of the church. Saying his source, anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Look, it's okay that someone aspires leadership. That's what Paul is saying. It's okay if someone says, hey, I feel called to this. It's okay. That's what Paul's just simply saying. Anyone aspires to that, it's a good task. It's a noble task. It is an honoring task. Now, what does this word overseer, this word overseer comes from the Greek word episcope. Episcope is where, um, if any of you grew up episcopal, Right? That's where the Episcopal denomination gets that, the Episcopate. Okay? And, and, and it's, it's translated a lot of different ways. It can be elder. It can be, um, and that doesn't mean just someone that's older, because what do we know about Timothy? He's young, right? Um, it was just a, it was a, it was an, a, a description of someone who was mature in their faith, right? So we have elder, we have overseer, and then sometimes it's, it's translated as pastor. And, and I think all of those things um, are, are their titles, and that's not what Paul's getting at, okay? Paul's ultimately getting at what is the heart of the man behind this, not what's the title of him. What is the heart behind the man, okay? And, and so when we look at the Old Testament, we look at some other phrases of, that, that, that are really closely tied to this, ultimately what it means is this is it the person who's responsible for the care and the protection of God's people? Okay, that, that's who it is. The person that's responsible, the, the man that God has put in a place that's responsible for the care and protection of God's people. And so he says this, therefore an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Let's just stop right there. There's a lot going on right there, isn't there? A lot of qualifications that Paul just lists about the one responsible for the care and the protection of God's people. He must be above reproach. What does that mean? It means that he lives his life in such a way that people don't on a regular basis go, did you see what the preacher was doing? Did you see what they did? Oh my gosh, can you believe that? Oh my gosh. Right? Paul's not calling, look, he's not calling anyone to perfection. Man, we, we, we mess that up, don't we? Come on, church. Somebody be honest this morning. Yeah, we mess that up, don't we? Oftentimes, we want the pastor, we want, we want the guy up here, we want him to live a life of perfection. And if he doesn't, man, I'm going to be quick to point it out. Right? Is he held to a high standard? Absolutely. But not to a standard of perfection that you don't want to hold yourself to 
but he's called to live above reproach. And, and I've had lots of discussions um, with other pastors and like, hey, what, what in our society, in our culture, oftentimes what does above reproach mean? Well, unfortunately for, for, um, for our culture we live in, oftentimes that means above perception. Because for most of us, perception is always what? Reality. If we perceive something could be true, it's got to be true, right? If you see it on the internet, it's true, right? If you read something that sounds good, it's true. That's just the culture we live in, right? And so I think Paul here is saying, hey, you've got to live a life in such a way that people are not always going, man, and, and always questioning what they're doing. Always questioning how they do things. Always questioning what is going on in their life. But it'd be above reproach. The husband of one wife. Um, there's been, there's so much debate going on about this right now and about the husband of one wife and what does that mean and all of these things. We addressed it a couple of weeks ago about how the, um, the lead pastor is to, to be a male. That is what um, Paul says and, and, and it's more about the conviction of God's word and when we submit to Christ. But the husband of one wife, what does that mean? Does that mean a pastor can, can never be divorced? Can that mean, does that mean, we don't have time to, dive into that today but I will tell you that the heart of Paul here okay the heart of Paul here is more about the heart of the man we live in a culture today where divorce just happens on a regular basis if you're divorced I'm not knocking you this morning I'm not getting on to you this morning but I will tell you this every situation is different do not judge every situation in a general manner. One of my best friends in all the world is divorced and he is a pastor and he is a godly man and he is faithful to this day to every single week getting in the pulpit and proclaiming God's word. And the divorce was not his Before we're quick to judge and make judgments on that, what does God's word say? Paul says he's the husband of one wife. He's faithful to the wife that he has. But I've said too much. Let's keep going. Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, and hospitable. Okay, so he's sober-minded that, that, that his mind is focused on Jesus, that his mind is completely um, not, not pulled this way, not pulled this way, not, not going, oh, this is awesome, let's chase this. Oh, this is awesome, let's chase this. No, he's sober-minded. He keeps his mind focused on Jesus. And then the next thing is he's self-controlled. Self-controlled. How many of you in here, like, man, I'm really good at being self-controlled. Oh, man, good, right? Do we all struggle with this? Absolutely. It is no secret that I'm a big man, okay? It's just reality. I love food. Anybody? Okay, good. 
Not all of you are thinking about food and hungry and looking at your watches, right? Like, but one of the things that I've been convicted about in 2023 is just my own health and um, partly because the doctor convicted me about my own health. But, um, uh, <laughs> but, but even as I'm unpacking this this week and in the last couple of weeks and looking at this text, I'm like, you know, there's some things that I have, have needed to change in my own life. And so starting in January, I go to the gym every morning. I get up at 4.30 in the morning and I go to the gym at 5 and I work out for an hour. You're like, how do we know that? No one's up. He's sitting right back there in that booth. His name's Sean Turner and he meets me there every morning. And there's accountability. And even Sean will tell you, there's some mornings we both wake up and go, man, I don't want to go, oh, but Sean's going to be there. Right? <laughs> or Brady's going to be there. Right? But it's something that I've changed in my own life and said, hey, I, I need to be healthier. It's a, it's a part of my life that I need to practice self-control because God has called me to that. And so I'm going to do it. Is it hard? Absolutely. There's not a whole lot easy about following Jesus. It's hard. But, but not only just in, in, in self-control of physical things, but also self-control of our tongue. The things we say. Self-control in our reactions. How many of you are like reactive people? You're like, whoa! Okay, come on. A lot of you didn't raise your hands, but it's okay. Um, I'm not judging you. I, look, we, how many of you parents are reactive to your children? There we go. Come on, right? Okay, like our kids just sometimes, we're going to get to parenting in a minute, but our kids just sometimes bring something out in us like they do they can do things all day and then they do one thing and you're like oh my goodness like what is happening in our house right now that's how i felt on the 13 and a half hour ride from from cuesta new mexico to to burleson there was nobody more ready to get out of the vehicle than my wife so <laughs> maybe me i don't know but we're called to to practice self-control and that's hard it's hard in a lot of areas of our life right but it's a calling for us to do listen we're supposed to be respectable and hospitable paul's going to go on and 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 this is has to do in verse 7 he says moreover he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil and so i think verse 7 goes with these two is that is that that he is to be respectable and hospitable. That those outside of the church view him and see him and go, man, that person's walking with Jesus. That person's following the Lord. That person is, 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 is a good person. Right? They, they, they see that from the outside and go, hey, that person's pastoring a church and, and I feel like that he should be because of who he is as a person outside the walls of a church that he's be respectable and hospitable you know i was i was i was blown away and and so um thankful for my time and, and my interview process of coming to oak grove because there's some things that the committee did that i was just like wow this is pretty remarkable that they're doing this um namely um uh, miss debbie neal called my fifth grade english teacher How they got that number is beyond me. 
But, but again, how many of you are like, I wish they'd call my fifth grade English teacher <laughs> during a job interview? Anybody? I didn't think so. I found that out, and there was like a little part of me that got really nervous. They just called Miss Barlaman? That woman threw erasers at me. Like, I'm not sure how this is going to go. But Miss Barlaman, my fifth grade English teacher, was also at one point my part time youth minister. And the first day I was in that office, the phone rang. And Miss Barlaman, who I affectionately call Aunt B, if you've ever seen the Andy Griffith show, she is Aunt B. Said, Brady, I just want to call and tell you I'm really proud of you. And that encouraged my heart. But I'm thankful that this church, that this committee that, that called and said, hey, could, could we talk to you? They went out beyond any reference that I gave them. Because 1 Timothy chapter 3 says that they're to be respectable and hospitable. The outsiders should know their character and their nature. Verse 3, not a drunkard, not a violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. That, that he's supposed to handle these things, that he's supposed to practice self-control, that he's not to pursue after wealth and fame and pursue after all of these things, but he is to practice self-control in these things. Not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. Man, all of these things are how he relates relationally. This. He's not to, to, to get in fights, not to get into arguments just for argument's sake. And look, I know plenty of pastors who love to get in arguments for argument's sake. That's unfortunate. But we are called to, to something more because listen, you do none of these things I do none of these things. You practice none of these things. I practice none of these things without first submitting myself to Jesus. Because these things on our own, we are prone to, right? We're prone to love money, right? We're prone to, to, to need it and want it. We're prone to argue. How many of you have ever been in an argument with your spouse? Yeah just because like there's a towel Woo! it's on now right like we're prone that way right we're prone to those things but look when we submit ourselves to Jesus we submit ourselves to Jesus guess what happens grace grace happens because when I submit myself to Jesus I'm reminded I'm reminded that on my own I can do none of it I can do none of it and I desperately need him every moment of every day then Paul's going to go on he's going to say this in verse 4 
He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. He must manage his own household well. Y'all, parenting's hard. It just is. And my wife and kids will tell you that I am not perfect at it. In fact, my 11-year-old's back there shaking her head. He's like, nope, you are not. I'm not called to be perfect at it. But at the end of the day, my first responsibility is my family. My first responsibility is disciple my children. Because if I can't manage them, and if I can't disciple my own kids, then I have no business leading God's church. And that's what Paul's saying. He must manage his household well. I'm not always great at being the perfect dad. I lose my temper at times with my kids. I get frustrated. I get irritated. I'm just being an open book this morning. Like That's just the reality of parenting. I wish that every moment I was patient and kind and full of grace and, and full of mercy and, and, and was just fantastic at it. But there are moments that I'm not. There are moments that I, that I fall and I, I get mad because they're not acting the way that I think they should. Or they're not doing what I asked them to do. But isn't that what parenting is? Is walking them through and showing them those things and how to do those things and, and disciplining them? Yes, that's what parenting is all about. But look, I and you will be so much better if you start your day submitting your life to Jesus and showing grace to your kids. You want to get out of the habit of, of yelling and screaming and, and, and getting angry and spanking out of anger or whatever. You want to get better at doing that? Start your day by submitting to Christ and be reminded of who you are and the grace that you so desperately need. And then you'll walk and you'll look with your kids in a different lens. He says he should not be a recent convert lest he fall become conceited and fall um, into the snare of the devil maturity growth takes time like yeah but timothy was like 14 yeah but timothy had been discipled over time eunice and lois as paul tells us mom and grandmother Maturity, growth takes time. That's just the reality. I'm so grateful, and I've told many people this, I'm so grateful and thankful that God didn't call me to be a lead pastor until I was much later in life. That I didn't, that I didn't take a church when I was 25, 26, 27 years old because God had to work some things out in me, and I am so grateful for His grace in that. Am I perfect? No. But I don't ever claim to be. 
and I'll never stand on the stage and say that I am. But I'll tell you this, in the same way that I held a child on March 6, 2012, and realized that I had a responsibility to care and to protect her with all that I was. The moment that I became your pastor, I took that same responsibility to care and to protect you. And I will do my very best to love you, to care for you, and to protect you. And to fulfill 1 Timothy chapter 3. That's my promise to you. But I ask as a church that these be the description of all of us so that the world will see a group of believers submitting themselves to Jesus in all things. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. God, I pray that you would continue to work and to move in these moments. Father, we would lift high your name, that we would respond to your word this morning. Father, that, that there are areas of our lives that we all need to work on. Father, would we, just in these moments, submit ourselves to you as a starting point for the rest of this week, for the rest of our lives, to submit to you. Oh, we love you. It's your name we pray. Amen.